It's a world where humans have stopped existing. It's called Samurai Frog Golf. Where did that idea come from as in like that concept? I don't know, man. I got like a, a bunch of these wacky ideas. You say that you was kind of like non-stop. Did you rest much? No, I was here well into the night every single day for the entire four months. What was that? How was that? Oh, piece of cake. Easy. <laughs> Your background at Red Rover Studios. That was the back in the days. Those were the good times. How did you end up like leaving Red Rover? I was fired once for being a shithead. As a kid, I was running wild. You're listening to The VFX Process, where we talk to the industry's most talented artists. We take a deep dive into a personal project of theirs and take a look at the work that went into them, as well as show an insight into the mind, workflow, and career of each artist. The VFX Process, getting intimate with your industry. Brought to you by Big Two Studios. Hey, Brent. Hi, Jamie. How are you? I'm very good, man. How's it going? Uh, it's going quite well, thank you. Brilliant. Is that a real background? That's a great view you got there. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> How's your day been? Because it's like six o'clock-ish there, is it? Uh, it's Yeah, I think it's about 6.30 about now. Yeah, it's good. My day's going fine. How about you? Where are you calling from? Pretty much the middle of England. So it's in a place called the West Midlands. My buddy Dean, he's from the UK too. He's from England. And uh, he, he he's also been back and forth and been quite prolific in the CG world of, of animators who go to Japan. You've been in Japan for eight years? Nine years now. It'll be 10 Nine years in years. February. What was the decision to, to get up and go over there? I'm sure it's uh, just for the love it of... It wasn't my decision. I My, my, my wife uh, wanted to come to Japan. Uh, she's Japanese and uh, she said, let's go to Japan for a year. Long story short, that was you know one child and nine years later, we're still here. <laughs> Brilliant, man. I guess we could start with just a introduction of yourself and a bit about your background, Brent. That'll be great. Sure, sure. Uh, well, my name is Brent Forrest. I'm Canadian born. I've been in the animation business for about 25 years. Lived in Toronto for, for most of uh, most of my life. For the last nine years, I've been here in Tokyo, where I've worked in four different animation studios. Over the past five years, I've made a professional change in what I do for a living. I've gotten out of the creative and gotten more to the technical side of things. I've done a lot of programming, done a lot of learning about uh, programming and how to build pipelines. And I do that at work and on the side, I like to uh, work on my own creative projects at home. So uh, with my creative partner, uh, Toby Schlage, uh, who's from Germany, we created a couple of films while we were out here that, uh, that did pretty well. They took us to Annecy. Uh, one year and uh, SIGGRAPH another year and uh, most recently an independent film that I was going to be making independently got picked up by the studio and that's what's been taking up most of my time these days that's my uh, my latest film what else can I say that's uh, that that's about it what project is that that you're currently working on is that the one that you're the project that was finished was called samurai frog golf that was my last finished film what, I, what i'm working on right now i've got a new film in the works uh which i've gone back to doing independently brilliant yeah we, we're going to talk about samurai frog golf mainly today which is very exciting because uh, it looks really great and we love it 
hence why we got you on on the uh, episode so thank you and we got other other ones like crack and like and follow were those more independent movies yeah yeah like and follow was the first movie i made uh, together with toby and then after that we made sort of like a quasi follow-up sort of sequel which was crack yeah how did they come about was it just for the hate of mobile devices no no i mean a lot of people a lot of people think that the people who don't watch the film to the end always uh, ha- tend to tend to to jump at that like uh, no i mean i've got I, i've got nothing against the mobile devices that that like uh, any more than any normal person does toby was more of a was more of a long hold outer of using uh, mobile mobile phones for a long time but uh, how it came about was Toby and I are both um, compulsive filmmakers, and we both made our own films uh, separately before we met each other, which we you know, tried to make a film on our own, put it out on YouTube. And we've both found that our films weren't getting much traction. We put the films out there and sent them to a few film festivals, and they just weren't, they weren't getting much of an audience. So we said, you know what? Uh, we met each other. We looked at each other's films. I said, well, look, we're both shown that we can make a film. Why don't we make something together? And this time, let's focus on, first of all, you know, doing it as a team, you know, splitting, splitting it up together. And let's also focus on getting it in front of people, getting them seen. So that was Toby and Mai's kind of like modus operandi to, to make Like and Follow. Like and Follow was actually based on one of Toby's stories. I really liked his idea. Uh, so working together with him, that allowed us to attract other people to the cause and also really, really aggressively, quote unquote, marketing and get it seen by as many people as possible. We had a lot of fun with Like and Follow and that, that film really uh, helped us, propelled, pr- propelled us into the other projects that we wanted to do, which was, which was the whole point. You know, we, we just like, we, both me and Toby and a lot of guys who I work with, we just we just love making films, and um, we don't need an excuse to do it. But uh, it takes time and resources. So, like and follow helped open up those resources that we wanted to do to do our next things. What kind of um, process was that like for you guys? Does it start with just your typical come up with an idea, write it down, storyboard, animatics? What's it look like from start to finish with a project like that? Well. Um, when me and Toby met and we started talking about filmmaking and got the we both had the idea to work together, we first sat down and said, you know, let's we should probably try making a film together. It's okay, what what are we gonna what have we got? And uh, Toby showed me some ideas that he had, and I had some ideas too. But uh, I really liked his idea. Uh, so from there, it was just like we'd go and have a coffee every day at work, and we would. You know, he had his thumbnails uh, already done, and I would go in and we would just work at it. Well, I mean, it's a bit, it seems like a very simple story, but we worked at that story and we iterated through that story for about three months daily on a daily basis. We worked out the story. And when we were happy with the story and the boards were all set, then the process of making a CG film, I'm sure you're aware, but maybe your, your listeners aren't, it, it's nothing, um, it's nothing spellbinding, but there is a process, there's a standard process in making a CG film where, you know, there's no dialogue, so we didn't have to do a script. We did storyboards. Once the boards are made, we shoot the boards, put them to a, an animatic, what's called an animatic, which is, you know, rough music and the boards cut to time. So then we know how many scenes we have and we know how long every scene is and what assets are in every scene. And that's important. Then we do the build, which is create the assets that we need. The 3D models, the character rigs, and the, you know all that all that good stuff that we need to actually start animating. 
and we do a very rough layout. We create shots, we put the assets in, we drop a camera in there, we set the scene length to the proper length of the shot. And once that's all done, then we're ready to start animating. So Toby and I looked at the shots. We said, well, what do you want? What do I want? We split the shots up based on our based on our, uh, our strengths as animators. Toby took the majority of the shots. I took the technically complicated shots. And then we animated and we, we kind of animation directed each other. I'd finish a shot, I'd send it to him. He'd finish a shot, he'd send it to me. We'd critique each other's work and send it back and forth, have a few disagreements, but in the end, uh, the product I thought was uh, the animation. I, I, I think I think the animation turned out really well. And then after the animation is done, God, like this is why I hate CG. Then we get into the lighting and the render, which as an oh. independence team working from like our laptops in different houses, rendering that thing, it was it was hard. It was really hard to get it rendered. And we we tried a whole bunch of different things. We tried cloud rendering. We tried getting our buddies to like you know uh, to render render on their home computers, but basically I had my my desktop and my laptop both like going every single day. I'd leave for work, I'd set a scene to render on this and that, and like you know some shots would take a day to render, some shots would take two days because we don't have a render farm. If I ever were to do this again, I would do one of I mean I would do one of two things for the next film: either build a small farm to use myself, or create a film that is so so light on uh, rendering that you could basically play blast it. That's that's the, I want to do more of a real time yeah. thing for the next one because I detest rendering. I detest the <laughs> whole photoreal process or the hyper real or however it is. Um, I, I really really don't enjoy it. I, I want I want the results. Yeah, man. Now to totally. Is it is it something that you've um, considered then, like like real time, like Unreal or Unity and things like that for we're, future? We're going to be doing something very similar to that for our next film. And we've been talking to some guys who build who who who's built like a custom two D style renderer uh, called oh, what I can't remember what the thing is. It's called uh, it's not Verve. It's uh, who is this guy? Oh man. Anyways, I'll I'll, I'll remember it later, and maybe we can. Oh, sent flare. It's called flare. 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 Okay. Yeah, it's called flare. So you know, we were looking at that. Uh, also looking at Blender and grease pencil, and also looking at some stuff that, that the, of my own design. But probably we're going to be doing Blender. We love Blender. So it's it's Maya at the moment. Um, is that correct? Our, our everything I've done up until now has been in Maya. But for the next film that I want to make, I want to do Blender. I just like jump in and learn it with with you know sink or swim kind of deal. Because we're doing that's the best way to learn. We find yeah, because we're doing something very two D styled, very UPA. Do you know UPA? No, what's this? Uh, UPA is a style of animation that was um, made popular in the fifties, which was kind of a very anti Disney style, very stripped down, very graphic and 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 stark, and uh, you know you know bold and striking. I mean, if you look at old cartoons like George of the Jungle, Rocky oh, okay. and Bullwinkle, you'll kind of get what I'm saying. So it's going to be um, grease pencil. Are you going to incorporate that then? I'm sure if you're using the blender, we're using a combination of 3D and 2D techniques to make the final image. Brilliant! So we look forward to seeing that. Is that something that's early in production at the moment, or is that starting up? Our storyboards are almost done. Again, we're we're working out Amazing. the story, and it's taking a long time because this is a difficult story we're trying to tell. So to get this all squeezed into a five-minute short film, it's it's taking it's taking a while. So yeah, the rendering. I mean, I'm not a fan of rendering and lighting and that sort of stuff. But um, your animation um, side of it, your your background at Red Rover Studios uh, in Toronto. Do you want to talk about working 
at Red Rover. Wow, Red Rover though, that was like that's that was for me. That was the back in the days, and like those were the those were the the those were the good times. You know, those those were the good days of animation. I I I was just I was just a kid. I was just coming out of high school. I started there out of high school. I was co op student in Canada. We say co op. Uh, you say you probably say it an internship. When I was a kid. I always said that like I knew what I wanted to do since forever. I wanted to be a Disney animator. That's what I always said. I knew what animation was. When I went to my mom took me to Disneyland and they like had this big glass wall where there were animators behind it and I just thought that was the coolest that was the, that was it. That's all I wanted to do. So out of high school I got a co-op placement at this uh, studio called Red Rover uh, who was uh, owned by the late great uh, Andy Knight who's one of the finest draftsmen Canada ever produced definitely one of its best animators and studio owners who sadly passed away in 2008 but anyways i started working there and i was uh basically just doing any jobs they gave me i uh, was making coffee and i was cleaning and cleaning the fish tank uh, shooting animation you know on the on the camera there and running errands running around the city doing whatever they would give me and uh i liked it so much that I stuck around after school had finished and Instead of going to university, I just, uh, they said, don't, don't go to university. You want to animate, just stick around here. You'll get a better education. You get paid, get paid for it. Hell so yeah. I stayed, I stayed there, stayed there from 2008 for, uh, I don't know. I don't know how many years, many, many years, um, stuck with Red Rover. Our team back then, man, it was a good time. Uh, started playing hockey with those guys. And of course, like I was, I was the youngest out of any of them. I was like 18 years old out of, out of high school. And these guys were all 30, 40, pushing 50, but man, oh man, did we ever have a good time? There had never been another studio, never been another studio quite like that. And nobody really knows about Red Rover, which is a shame because that place is a real part of Canadian animation heritage as much as like Nelvana. Nelvana is another big animation name or used to be in Canada. I was reading this book uh, called Sick Little Monkeys uh, written by Thad, whose last name eludes me, Thad. It's called Sick Little Monkeys. It's a story of Red and, of Red and Stimpy, like the, the animation days of Red and Stimpy. So I was reading this book and I think I heard it on, I think I was listening to Billy West on a podcast talking about uh, his time of uh, doing voices for Red and Stimpy. And I picked up uh, his book and it was like, man, this is like, this is just like, it's so, it's like, you know, reading, it really resonated with me. But the funny thing was, is that uh, at the back of the book, there was two or three pages where they were talking about Red Rover. And I'd never seen Red Rover mentioned anywhere, you know, especially not in print. So it was really neat. So I was really happy to, to just say, we worked on a Ripping Friends for a small period when John Kay had his Ripping Friends show. Uh, we worked on that a little bit. So they're mentioning, you know, uh, Red Rover in there. Yeah, so that was cool. Uh, but man, man, there's so many stories to tell about Red Rover. I can't even get into it without getting permission <laughs> from 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 the guys. Uh, oh, of course, a, no problem. We had a lot of fun. There's a pool table in the studio. We're playing darts, playing pool all the time. The business was a real different animal back then. And yeah, that, that was Red Rover. That's how I got my start. You know, when, I was a, when I was a punk, punk kid. And... Uh, yeah, and since so since that that since then I've been work I worked all over the place in two D and in three D and uh, what was it like going from like the two D into the world of three D was the, was that transition at Red Rover for for yourself, Prince? Yeah, that's a good question. So I was always kind of into the technical side of things. I was messing around with the computer 
like I was the only one there who was messing around with computer graphics. And I was just doing it as a hobby at home. And I was learning it at high school at the time, playing around with uh, uh, Specular Infinity, which was a 3D software for the Mac, uh, which, which I thought was really fun to play with. I was doing a lot of stuff with that. Uh, but time came around the, around the end of the 90s uh, when Studio had to make a transition uh, had to start incorporating 3D because we just had it had to be a part of the package. You know, we were doing um, serial commercials and they needed a 3D shot of the box and stuff. So it's like, well, everything else is 2D, but we need this box. So, you know, outsource to another studio? No, no, just get a copy of 3D Studio Max and uh, Brent, Brent, here you, you learn how to use that. And, <laughs> you, uh, you can do it, right? Yeah, yeah. You made those spinning <laughs> logos. You, you learn 3D Max. So I learned 3D Max and, and, and for a little while I was doing some, you know, doing, doing this and that. And then they would they brought on some guys who were already three three D experts. So like a big studio of two D animators. Slowly we brought on like this one guy who was a three D guy, and I was working with him. But like I didn't really gel with this guy because like I was you know kind of two D through and through, and the three D guys and the two D guys kind of didn't get along so well. <laughs> so they fired that guy, and then they hired uh, they hired a, a, a crew. Like the three D started getting more and more. The three D really started getting. We were all three D Studio Max. At Red Rover, so it was like 2D animation studio with 3ds Max uh, backup, right? So eventually they hired uh, they hired this this other guy, and they brought in like a team of four, and then there was like like a real 3D department, and so then the studio was really split down the middle, and we started doing not just 2D 3D hybrid stuff, but like full on CG commercials. We did some really cool car commercials uh, that were all 3ds Max. Um, and I was working with a 3D team at that time, but you know, I was I was always kind of caught between two worlds. Then came an opportunity where uh, I, it was my my mom. I think this was about 2002, and my mom told me, uh, "Look, you're really into the 3D. You got to learn Maya. I've heard from somebody you have to learn Maya. You got to go. To, yeah, you go to go to you go to college and learn Maya." And I and I said, "Okay, mom, I'll go learn Maya." So I went to Seneca College for a three month course, taught me Maya. And I, and I went back to the studio after that and said, hey, here's here's Maya. And I started training the 2D animators on how to use Maya for this other project that we were going to do. And so we had all these 2D guys who didn't really work with the 3D guys uh, who were doing 3DS Max. And there's me who came back. That was at like 21 or something. And I was teaching these guys how to use Maya, the like the animator animators, the guys who like animate proper. And uh, the the fruit of those efforts were we made a uh, we made this little pilot for a TV show and Andy the boss he 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 was connected to uh, Tom Hart and the guys at Disney who were launching a new project called the Jetix block they wanted to do an action adventure block and uh, the pilot got uh, 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 optioned and we we did uh, the, the promo got optioned and they they got the pilot financed and we did this um we, we, we got a TV show off the ground. First uh, full CG, total Canadian-made Disney series ever made. It was called yeah, it was called Get Ed, and it was Andy's brainchild. And uh, yeah, we made the whole thing in-house, soup to nuts, like from like from zero, from like a group of nine guys who'd never done CG before. And then like they opened up a whole other floor, brought in a hundred people, and then we did a whole year. We did a series. We did a CG series. The studio had really started to undergo a transition at that time, you know. Um, the two, and at that time, like this, the CG was the bread and butter, and the two D guys started getting, you know, less and less. That's really cool. 
thanks to your mom. <laughs> my mom had a major hand in in every good thing that's ever happened in my career. She uh, she encouraged me. I was failing math and science and stuff in high school, and, and plus I really didn't like it. And she said, "Yeah, you know what? Stuff really isn't for you. Why don't you just why don't you just take art and computer Amazing. and English for your last year?" And she's like. I didn't have to take math in my last year. My last year of high school was so fun. I was just doing art and doing uh, doing the stuff I liked and, and doing the co-op, the, the job. Like I'm going off downtown every day to hang out with these these animators. And uh, you know, my my schedule was pretty was pretty wide open for the last year of high school. So I I have really had a good time. But I never went to university, and I always kind of wished that I had that experience yeah i guess in hindsight you always wonder what 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 could have happened what would have happened but what would you have done at university more like animation or i probably would have partied a lot <laughs> and and not done the animation no i i'd, I'd still be doing that yeah <laughs> yeah no it always it's always been animation for me I, li- I like making the sandwich if you know what i mean i, li- I like i like the, the doing of it i like making it i like the whole creative process how did you end up like leaving red rover was it just naturally sort of come to an end or did you try new things yeah well i left red rover and came back twice or three times i was fired once i was fired once for being a shithead andy liked me i've I've been there for a long time but like i i pushed it way too far like i said like as a kid i was running wild wasn't getting along with like the new cg guys and you know, I decided instead of coming back to the studio and finishing up my work on this Camry logo, I was going to go play frisbee in the park with with my my burnout friends. And even after they called me, it's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So, you know, like little things like that, and maybe being a little, maybe being a little bit too much of a nasty jerk to uh, to some of the guys that pushed it all a bit too far. And for good reason, I was fired. Um, but they hired me back a couple of months later, and uh, you know, the, those guys who were upset with me never, never heard from them again um <laughs> but, uh, but then you know the studio went through some tough times you know after the after uh after get ed was um was done uh we couldn't really continue on like that we couldn't uh keep that whole big 3d pipeline that we had going because we didn't have another series they were trying to get another series going but like so that was down the tubes and uh 2d work had dropped off so our capabilities their capabilities had been reduced and uh, there was a round of uh, layoffs, you know, not layoffs. People were being let go. They just couldn't afford to keep people around. So, you know, I was, got laid off. I had to find other work. You know, I, and I, I would come and go to Red Rover every, every, every so often if, if I could. You know, then I, then I met uh, my, my, who would become my wife. And we got married in 2008. And the, the same, same year, same month, I got a phone call from my friend Greg Court. And he said, "Are you sitting down?" As I was up at the at Muskoka, uh, we were talking to the to the people there about the wedding plans and all that stuff. And he said, "Yeah, and Andy just died. Andy just died. He was he was off on a business trip, and he he died. And uh, so like that was just like, well, that that was pretty much it. That 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 was the end of it. And everybody who was kind of like banded together under Andy at Red Rover, all of these like top flight animators who learned from him." And like, sort of like, created creatively and professionally, grew up with him. And even if they were weren't all still at the studio, like they that that was just it. Like this group of guys was just like, like imagine like if in 1935, you know, after Pinocchio had been finished, if Walt Disney suddenly died, and like all those guys, there was just no leader anymore. So that was just that was just it. So there's no more Red Rover. No, I, I should say that Red Rover did continue to function as a company. It was it was taken on by by uh, Ricardo Curtis. 
who who took on who took over the studio and uh, eventually rebranded it as as House of Cool uh, because these guys they are they're as legendary as Andy was in animation these guys are equally legendary when it comes to storyboarding so Red Rover became House of Cool uh, or became a became a part of House of Cool and House of Cool has gone on to to great great success. Um, so, you know, if anything, I feel grateful for Ricardo for keeping the few people who were a part of the Red Rover team who were still there. He kept he kept them going for I guess as long as was as was as was possible. And those guys are all still working, you know, they're off in California and uh, Vancouver and some are still in Toronto and and I'm here in Tokyo. Did you go straight on to things like you ended up working on Sonic the Hedgehog, Alice in Bo- Borderlands, like VFX. That Alice in Borderlands credit is like just just a technicality. I did some work on the pipeline that was, I suppose, used for something of that project. But yeah, you know, you know that show? No, I haven't. I haven't watched that. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. I've, I've watched uh, obviously Sonic the Hedgehog. But how did you step into that um, world on those on those sort of like bigger budget movies? Were you just picked up as an artist, or? Well, it wasn't. It wasn't by. It wasn't by design. Um, since since back then, I worked in lots of different studios. You know, you got to got to eat. So I was doing all kinds of work. Of course, yeah, yeah. I, I worked for uh, I worked for different studios doing modeling and uh, some flash stuff and uh, special effects. I always I could always find work doing special effects, hand drawn special effects. I could always find work doing that. Uh, you know, I, I found myself working at this one studio in Toronto called Soho, and that's the first time I think I worked on features. I was working on uh, Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, and then I took a job in Montreal. We worked on Asterix. I was just doing some special effects in my, you know, like fluids and you know, tracking stuff and tracking tracking stuff into live action plates. Uh, nothing, nothing crazy, but at least I got some features on my on my on my resume. You know, this and that here and there, and and, and eventually moving out to Japan. You know, there, there's there's features abound if you're in the right studio. This this place where I'm working right now, Marsa, they do a lot of feature work, and of course. You know they're they're under the umbrella of the Sega Sammy Group, so yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog is a given. But, but I came here because I wanted to work on uh, this film called Lupin the Third, Lupin the Third the First, the, the CG Lupin movie. I was just salivating to work on that. I'm very, I'm very project driven. If I like a project, I will try very hard to get onto it. Yeah, but I, I really liked the the idea of the Lupin movie, and I think they just did they did such a good job. They did such an awesome job on that film. What was it like arriving in Japan and starting on projects there? Was it similar? What's the difference between working with the teams in Canada and Japan? I'll say that it's much more. It's been much more multicultural here in Japan, for one thing. Yeah, I mean, they say Canada multicultural, this and that. No, no, no. Uh, working in Tokyo, I've really, it's really been a mixed bag of people. Of course, most studios, it's mostly like fifty percent Japanese, and then fifty percent people from all over the world. So, like that, that's been cool. There's the language barrier. There's a the culture barrier you have to overcome. There's procedural differences, which are part of the cultural differences and how things are done. And I could I could talk for an hour on all of that. But yes, there there are differences. But animation is animation, no matter where you are. And as long as you've got you know a good team, a good studio, and good leadership, I think that Japan is a really cool place to work. And I can say pretty confidently that I have not enjoyed working anywhere with the possible exception of Red Rover back in the back in the in the salad days then I enjoy working where I'm working right now I really I really like this place nothing beats um working someone that you enjoy we can move on to the the samurai frog golf then um now Brent and just talk about Whoa. how that came about 
the style, the animation, everything about it really, and just dive deep into the process. Yeah, yeah, I love talking about Samurai Frog Golf. So like I said before, it was going to be an indie project. So after we'd finished, um, uh, after we finished Like and Follow and Crack, we were going to do like a third phone film. We had the third one. Uh, but, but, but Toby was like, I don't want to do the goddamn phone anymore. Just <laughs> do something new. What else have we got? I said, and I was like, well, we got the assets. Why don't we just keep on using them? No, no, no. Sick of it. I said, okay, well, look, I got this idea. I want to do something with uh, samurais, uh, a golfing samurai. I have this, like, I have something about a golfer who's holding a samurai sword. Where did that idea come from? As in, like that concept? I don't know, man. I, I got, I got, I got like a, a bunch of bunch of these wacky ideas. Uh, but uh, golf. My my dad is an avid golfer, and um, golf was always like a big part of the of the landscape when I was growing up. My dad was always golfing and taking me golfing and telling me golf jokes. And we lived next to a golf course for three houses in a row. <laughs> you know, like it was it was it was it it, it had to be. Uh, and so you know, I, th- I thought a lot about this stuff. I thought about how you have all of these things that are so similar in like the samurai stories and in the zen of golfing like you must be extremely centered and balanced and calm and you have to balance extreme power with extreme precision you know and like these things are very very i I love the samurai films too i I like all i like uh samurai serials so i just thought you know it just all came together like that i wanted to i had an idea about these two golfers running through the woods jumping through the air slashing at each other with golf clubs and playing a round of golf at the same time oh i'd made previous films before which were like just about playing a game i made a film about a couple of uh, two guys who were just playing pool because i love pool and i had another idea about uh playing a game of foosball up in the mountains with the foosball monks so i thought i'm gonna do a golf film I'm just about golf um so it came from that and then like it became a frog just based on some doodles i was doing for a character design quarterly on facebook i was trying to improve my character design which is like one of my my, my weakest areas is character design so i was on there and this this drawing i did of this big fat frog with the sword got a lot of positive reaction so that like was the that was the inception of the whole thing so me and toby started working on that and doing the storyboards early on i was like i want to have a really unique style to this so uh, we went to this place called the uh, Moku Hong Kong Print Shop in Asakusa. It's a place where uh, they have this, the, there's, a man, there's a place owned by a man named David Bull, and he's quite well known out here. He hand carves and creates woodblock prints in the traditional way that has been done throughout history in Japan. And he makes and sells and does podcast and, and live stream. Uh, I should say he does a Twitch stream of making uh, ukiyo-e woodblock prints. So we went over to him. I just, you know, I started talking to him. I told him what, who we were and what we were doing. And he was like, oh, yeah, who are these dummies? All right, I'll tell you about it. <laughs> if there's one thing, this guy can talk forever about about how it's done and the history. And we just, like, sucked it all up. We absorbed all of that information. And he was showing us all of his prints. He's like, oh, look at this one. You know, this one's actually really valuable. This one here is like, you know, and he's like telling us all of these little details about the paper and the offsetting and the wood and the history and like everything that came with us. So ended up going there three times. Once me and Toby, one more time to actually make some prints, right? Because we wanted to get our fingers into it. We made some prints with him. And another time, with the studio, and he gave the he gave the studio the core team at the studio the the the, the story, and we we actually went up the stairs and saw his whole workshop and everything. I had it in mind we were going to do something not entirely 
a moving woodblock print, but I wanted to learn as much as possible about it because I wanted that inspiration to drive the look. So that's how the look came about. We we combined what we knew about the woodblock printing with I wanted to give it sort of a uh, sort of a Van Goghish kind of I wanted to hypnotize the edges a bit. So the look we did was I would say a mixture of like a Van Gogh Starry Night with this uh, woodblock kind of look and like a lot of input from a lot of different departments to figure out this look and quickly too. We had to figure it out quickly. I didn't quite know exactly what I wanted to do. I, ha I knew what the building blocks were, but we had to piece it together. So our team really made some cool stuff happen and we were doing cut stuff with the computer that, that we hadn't done before. I was always happy with the look for a first try. I thought, I thought it turned out okay. And then what else can I tell you? I mean, the, we, we, uh, the, the studio was kind enough to get involved in the project. We made the film. We do the same as always uh, with the festivals and all that. Uh, except uh, now that we're with the studio, you know, things are a bit, bit more complicated. As an independent, you can, you can pretty much do as you like with your films. When you are tied down uh, with your responsibilities, when you're tied monetarily to a larger entity like the company, you are not free to do as you like. So uh, many things have to be taken into consideration and many you, you, you must put everything you do up through the approvals. And I'm not just talking about making a film. Of course, the film is a team effort, but also the marketing and distribution, how you present this to the world is also team effort. You can't just go on Twitter and say, whatever, you know, the company has to do that. How can I say it? It's it's it's, uh, it's a tapestry. It's it's there's pros and cons. You know, the pro major pro being is that the money exists like that, and the film can be sure. made in a couple of months instead of a couple of years, which I think is a pretty good trade off. But as I said, my new film I'm doing independently because I want I want to I I I, I kind of want to uh, retake the freedom of what I do with it afterwards. Sure. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. What would you say for this project was um, a real challenge? You know, you were doing things differently that you hadn't done before on past projects. I've had that question before. What was a challenge? This project was was a constant pressure cooker. We had four months to get the thing out. Four months to do three and a half minutes of animation from start to finish. So, first of all, scheduling had to be locked up tight. Uh, I was working... Uh, morning to night, seven days a week for that solid four months, and I don't. I think I may. I think I may have taken one or two weekends off because I because it was possible. But but I, it, it became a game of hours, a game of minutes. Like really? it's like today's the day the main character gets modeled, and it's not going for retakes. Like that today's the day. Really? And like we had to hit the marks. We had to hit those 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 production benchmarks. There was no going back. There was no time. Like. We go ahead one step after the other. The great uh, challenge came uh, at a part of the new pipeline that we had, our our, our publishing, our publishing uh, for render. Oh man, I spent a long time on that. Like again, like getting to the rendering, it's just the freaking worst. Did you get involved with the technical side setup of that? Was you involved in setting up that farm? Yes, I was in the tech department. I'm, I'm, I am in the tech department and I was in the tech department and I still am. And uh, but like wrangling the new pipeline when there was something that wasn't working for this project, it was tough. It was tough, you know, because we didn't have time to to de debug. We just needed to get it to work. So there was sure. a lot of you know uh, a lot of getting my hands in the machinery and just forcing the frames through. You know, our our process of automation wasn't quite as mature as it is now. 
but it took it took this project to help us get there. So now 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 we're 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 running we're running a, a lot better. But uh, great challenge came at the post at the post stage. Animation, no problem. Animation tier, this, they are crack animators here. Like they're quite good. It all went off like I think we were like two days ahead of schedule on animation. But the 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 render, the rendering, man, prepping for render. Was it set render and just fingers crossed it turns out fine? No, no, it, it, it's not just the rendering. It's it's uh. Uh, doing the baking to Alembic, so we don't just render from oh, rig. Oh, of course. We yeah. prep. We prep the shots, and uh, so there's a process. There's like the animation finaling, then there's the baking, and then there's the lighting, and then there's the rendering. So if you can get the baking working, then the render will pretty much go off well. But the baking was having some problems. Yeah, it it, it was it was it was a lot to bear to get that stuff through. Just sitting there and testing the stuff and watching errors go in through there and going into every single file and like redoing it manually. Yeah, it was tough. That was a challenge. That was, but it was all a challenge, you know, that, that, that was just a particularly irritating challenge because it was just menial grunt labor that needed to be done. And there was no way to do it, but to do it. And I guess that those, those times that are challenging, like you said earlier, because of that project, you've really sort of figured things out and then now things are more automated and better but without that project sometimes it's i mean we were switching from the old pipeline to the new pipeline and a lot of studios are doing this the old pipeline was based on python 2 and uh based on a based on a sql database uh which had to go uh because with the new maya and the new dc with the new technology everything has to move to python 3 ready or not so like um yeah, the the the, the new we were we were transitioning from old pipeline to new pipeline at that time. We have we're 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 in the midst of the transition now, so so it isn't nearly as dire as it was for SFG. Obviously, your your skill set is more you know TD. You've got animation, VFX, and to get this project through the door, did you find that you were jumping into other roles? I jumped into every role that needed to be done because we didn't have the money to hire people for every role. I modeled the I modeled the hero characters. I did a lot of modeling on props and shading that needed to be done. Like I split it up among the people so that we could get it done. Um, I rigged, I did layout, did set dress, animated one shot, um, special effects. I did. I wanted to do the special effects. That was going to be my thing from the start anyways. Of course, storyboards, edits, and wrangling the technical aspects, uh, building the tools that we needed to build and managing the pipeline elements solely yeah it was it was jumping around constantly and it had to be in a very precise way because there was no room for you know to get the stuff done on time there was just no room i i really i you know i really really i really wanted to give this give this a good shot so there was um it was a considerable amount of work and was it like late nights you said that you was kind of like non-stop did you rest much no i was here well into the night every single day and the weekends for the entire four months. What was that? How did you, how, how was that? Was that burnout, severe burnout to the end? Oh, piece of cake. Easy. <laughs> it was hard. No, I was cracking up towards the end. Of course it was Really? Hard. Yeah. It was, it was, it took a huge toll, but that's, that's what it takes for that type of challenge. I'm not saying that I enjoy working myself like that. I, I don't, but it was required for for this job which i felt very strongly about i guess um sometimes you know when you when you you're involved so much and you you do love it and you do want to get to the end you, you really do what it takes to get get it through the door you know 
Yeah, any, I, anybody will say the same. For sure, if your heart, if your heart's in it, it's, and if it's something that's yours, you know, and you and you've been given an opportunity, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Was there, would it be anything that you would do differently on that on that project, knowing what you know now? I, I, I think what I would have done differently. I, I think I might have become rather unpleasant towards the most important people on the team. I, I probably would have made a much more serious effort to um, go easy on on my teammates uh i might have i might have let my frustration boil over a couple times and that's uh that that's something that i would would have done differently had i been given another chance and what what was the feeling like when it was ah the the last day for for you on that project was it a you can breathe moment i was really happy i was you know i was quite quite happy about i was very happy it was great you know we got to watch the thing in the screening room and you know, uh, every because this was like right during pandemic. I wanted to do uh, like a screening party and like rent out a space and get everybody in there and do a whole thing and like, you know, have like swag and stuff. And so I wanted to do the whole thing. I didn't get to do any of that, which is unfortunate. But still, it was it was quite. Uh, here's the thing: when a film is finished, when you're done a production, that's not the end. That's like barely the halfway point, right? We finished the film. That was great. But then we're moving on to the next stage, which is development. You know, we're trying to make more of this. We're trying to make more of them. We're trying to see see where this takes us. We're trying to sell. So then began the next year, which wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the production year, but the post-production, the marketing, the sales. It's end of the bag, isn't it? I'd gone through the rigor enough times to know to like not get too excited just because the film is done. Because now it's time film festival submissions and set up some meetings with some guys and say, and the preparation of the supplemental materials and all this and that. And we made like, we made like 15 short animations to go along with it. You know, we made a ton of stuff to go with this, you know, and then we went to SIGGRAPH. We went down to Vancouver for the, for the, for the world premiere of the film. The, the film premiered at SIGGRAPH in Vancouver last year. So we all went down there for the thing and there was meetings after meetings, and all kinds of people doing all this sort of stuff and just trying to say like, here we are. Here's Marza. This is what we've got. This is who we are. This is what we're trying to do. We were looking at different co-production options, and we still are. So, so you know, this process it doesn't end. It's not over. We're still working on it. And even as we move on to the next step, it's not going to be over. And like, you gotta love the process, right? Was I excited when the film was done? Yes, very happy. But the process, the ongoing process, the ongoing, you know, this mountain's done, but there's another mountain. Like you, you got to revel in that. You got to, you got to enjoy those uncomfortable, not those, 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 cha- those challenges, you know? And uh, so it goes on, it goes on. And as, of course, as this, this goes, we start a new project and start a new film, you know, start the madness all over again. That, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's how I like it. It is very exciting to finish a film though. It's very exciting when a film is done. Yeah, of course. That's so it was actually in the pandemic. Was um, you were working remotely on this, or was it was it a hybrid? How did the actual? I did not um, spend one day working remote through the whole pandemic. I wasn't into that. I, I wasn't about to play that game. I said I'm in the office. You know, I was in the office. The office was empty for a year, but I kept coming in. I wasn't about to be doing this whole work from home thing. That's not really my thing. Because obviously, many people make movies fully remotely now. I was just wondering if that was a part of. Um, that project, but no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't have been possible. It wouldn't have been possible. There, there might have been some people doing some things remotely, but the big meaty part of production, like like asset build, animation, render, and composite, 
that would had to be in house. Uh, and like, yes, some people dialed in from home and they were working from home, I suppose. But when you're animating and you're you're working like that, you've got latency between your home thing. It's like it's of course, man. And, yeah, yeah. So it's not you know it's it's not ideal. There's been a ton of there's been a ton of, ton of work from home stuff going on, but SFG wasn't one of them. The world of the um, the samurai frog. What's the bigger world that they live in? Is there ideas to revisit it and expand on the stories? What's your idea for the bigger world of these characters? It's a world where humans have stopped existing. It's been so long, no one's ever seen a human, but there are trappings of the human race which have just fallen into legend. So the world is ruled by the animals. Uh, they rule the land, sea, and sky. And our local area, our local country, is the remains of an abandoned golf course where these creatures, their ancestors, watched these giants of legend play this game of the past which is kind of becoming great in their society. So they all have this, this. They all have their own take on on what golf is, and it's kind of become, you know, their their own way of life and religion in some ways. But that that's just one part of it. We follow our hero, who is an ex samurai. He's an ex soldier who fought and lost in this great uh, war between turtles and frogs. And uh, what happened was is that the turtles took over the turtles won this war and the frogs became subjugated and homeless and so he's just led this life of of pain and degradation and he's vowed he says i'm done i'm done with this you know it, it cost it cost him everything he just wants to live out the rest of his life in peace playing the game of legend he wants to just play golf and then die quietly. That that's that's what our hero wants. He's 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 out of the game. He melts his sword down, turns it into a golf club, and that's where we meet him. He's off there playing this game. But he gets twisted up through this turn of events. There's this baby turtle. It was very, very valuable, very valuable turtle. He's he has a special property about him that's very valuable to the animals of the sky and the sea. And uh this turtle egg gets swapped for his golf ball one day out on the field and he becomes the un the unwilling foster father of this baby turtle and he has to you know uh, grudgingly he has to return this baby to the homeland of his enemies and this journey takes him across the 18 different lands which we play as like 18 holes of golf but every every step along the way we we learn more about him and his caddy is this sugar glider who kind of like rounds out the companionship. The sugar glider is a very carefree and loving sort of maternal character. And they, they go off and they, they meet old friends and old enemies and new enemies and, uh, you know, face the ghosts of the past. Uh, meanwhile, with this kind of like we have this golf-themed hero's journey, an adventure that takes them through 18 different lands, 18 different stories, you know, peaks and valleys, Know, mountains and deserts and and uh, there's always like a little hint of golf wisdom in there but it's not too over the head you know golf is like just one color of the rainbow it's it's, it's a hero's journey it's a story of 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 our froggy's his redemption of of him coming to terms with uh with 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 uh, his own prejudice it's about because he hates the turtles he despises the turtles. He hates most other other animals in here. So there's a lot of allegory in here, right? So I, I love. I'm a big history fan. I, I love uh, I love world history. I like I like uh, I, I really especially like things to do with um, the Second World War, 
but you can't make a cartoon about that. So, but you can do allegories with animals. So that's kind of that's kind of the heart and soul of what this is all about. It's a hero's journey, following our kind of anti-hero, looking at prejudice through the twin lenses of the samurai and the golfer, and that's samurai frog golf, as I see it. Nice man, that's awesome. Would there would there ever be a Ninja Turtles crossover? Because I know in the movie, is it the third one where they they're also samurais? Well, what are the Ninja Turtles? I've never heard of that. I'm just, I know I'm just kidding. No, it, it, yeah, of course, of of course, there's something in the original version of the film. We see he doesn't just rescue one; he rescues all the babies, and he takes them back there. To the, he does make it all the way back to the to Turtle Clan, where he basically falls down dead from his injuries. Uh, but we we go we go forward in time and see that the turtles have healed him, and he's now living he's now living among his former enemies as a foster father. The babies have grown up, and the babies themselves have learned the lessons uh, through their through the journey through through the froggy. They've learned the lessons from him, and they see you see those turtles going out and and coming to the aid of a crow, who are historically their their enemies. So instead of perpetuating the cycle of revenge and violence, we see them starting a new cycle of forgiveness, and that's kind of uh, at the heart and soul of what I wanted to do, uh, and at the same time have fun with this 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 grab bag of golf stories that I've always wanted to tell golf jokes and golf stories so many from yeah. my dad you know my dad's been filling my head with them and then I just I just there's so many there's so many cool funny neat little golf stories and jokes and they would just fit so well in a samurai serial yeah so so this is this brilliant is... man look forward to uh, the future of thank you Brent it's been an absolute pleasure and I just want to say thanks for your time man oh the pleasure's been mine thank you so much Jamie have a lovely evening uh, having a beer and, and hanging out with your friend thank and we'll you. speak to you very soon man thanks yeah. Jamie have a good one talk again okay you too man take care Brent alright bye for now bye buddy thanks for listening Remember to check out our other episodes available or check out the podcast in video form on our YouTube. Please drop us a rating and review. See you next time. The VFX Process, getting intimate with your industry. Brought to you by Big Two Studios.